Welcome back to Rule 8 Politics, where we always tell the truth, or at least we don't lie. My name is Jeremy Sammons, and with me to, to, again today, my good buddy, Zach Sacker. So, come, sorry, I was not able to make it last week. I had some family stuff come up, but back today and ready to get back at it. So, Zach, what did you think yes, about sir. the second and final presidential debate? First off, we can actually call it a, de a debate, <laughs> which is just incredible. I mean, I feel like we haven't had a debate, a real debate, a substantive debate with like information um, since uh, who knows when, before the Trump era, at least. Because I mean, those Hillary debates are pretty chaotic as well. The last, you know, one with the Biden with Biden was a complete disaster. Um, this was much more measured. Uh, I think that the that the the threat, the looming threat of the mute button, really uh, was a good innovation here because it, uh, you know, they both knew that they could be muted at any point. Um, although they said that they were supposedly only going to mute the person not speaking at the beginning of each each uh, topic, the uh, that headline question, uh, each candidate was supposed to get two minutes uninterrupted to respond to the question. Then the next candidate would get their two minutes. And then when, then they would have a back and forth section where uh, the mics would be unmuted. Um, but still just the fact that they knew that there was a mute button there, I, I think gave the, the, um, the implement that it could, they could be muted really at any point. And I think that would have looked really bad for, Trump or Biden too, but you know, mostly Trump, if he's just like muted, uh, I, I could see that like really hurting his ego. Yeah. So I, I think, uh, I think the whole idea of having the mute button there really changed the dynamics a lot. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Just the, the threat of having it there alone was enough to bring enough structure into the debate where I, they actually could have a decent conversation. Um, do you think the mute button is going to be a, a commonplace thing in all the base going forward? Yeah, I, I do. I think it's going to be, this is a new precedent that was set and um, you know, the improvement is obvious, you know, and, and even, even I think both Trump and Biden are both saying that it was a bit better debate as well. So this is like something that everyone's on the same page with. And uh, mm -hmm. I, I think there's no reason to uh, take it away, to be honest with you. Yeah. yeah, I think it works well in the one-on-one -on -one setting. Um, however, I was I was not a fan of the mute button during the Democratic primaries. I mean, there was plenty of instances where favoritism was shown versus you know whose mic mm -hmm. got cut off and who who was allowed to speak, who was allowed to talk over each other. So, like, uh, I mean, if you go back to I, I, how the whole hashtag yeah. uh, you know let Yang speak really came from was him being silenced on yeah. the debate stage. But yeah, with, uh, I, I didn't the, even realize the, that they had a mute button during that. I guess they did. You're mm -hmm. right. They, they, had the, they had the very first uh, debate he was on. Yeah, he was heavily censored. Mm, so yeah. in that yeah, context, yeah, yeah. It's, right. it's, it's dangerous. But yeah, and the, during the with the presidential debate, where it's you know one on one, Trump versus Biden. Yeah, yeah, it, it served its purpose well. Yeah, and I think that's the first time that they ever did it when it was one on one like this. You know. I mean, the, right. the need for it when you have 17 people on a stage becomes a little bit more apparent. Um, but 
yeah, even in the one-on-one -on -one setting, uh, I, I think it's just, it just really made a big improvement overall. Um, um, what did you think about the, the candidates' performance? I thought they both did pretty well. Uh, I honestly think Trump, um, if anyone was a winner, I think it was Trump because I think the bar was set so low for him. And I, I know that there, I, I've heard people in the media saying the other thing around, like the bar was very high for Trump. I didn't see it that way because I think the last debate, he really looked like the instigator and, uh, the the it was almost like a different person that we saw you know um mm -hmm. and I, I think it was reassuring to a lot of people that hey this guy actually can uh act normal um you know he actually he he acted normal and uh you know i maybe that's a very low bar right there you know that all he has to do is act normal and he wins but yeah it's, it's kind of my point he just uh it wasn't constant talking over each other. It wasn't like during the first debate where he basically called Joe Biden stupid. I mean, that's like kindergartner right. talk. Don't, <laughs> don't you smart with me. There's nothing smart about you, Joe. I mean, you know, there wasn't any of that during this debate, mm -hmm. you know, although it did get personal mm -hmm. at times. And those personal punches that the candidates threw when you're just looking at them, I, I thought Trump's punches carried a little bit more weight because you know, there are some very, very real corruption concerns about Joe Biden, uh, especially involving his son, Hunter, and what's going on with Ukraine and these Burisma payments that he was receiving. Uh, and the mainstream media has more or less ignored these stories. So this was an opportunity for Trump to take advantage of a national audience, because let's face it, a lot of Joe Biden voters are not watching Fox News where they did cover these stories. Um, this was an opportunity for him to turn these right wing stories, which I do think should be examined. He was able to turn them into a national story a little bit. Yeah, that's a you know, the, also the, the, the mayor of Moscow giving hunter biden a few million dollars i think 3.5 million dollars um the laptop from hell right. is another one <laughs> right right it's a big deal it, it, I, mean, uh, it's, well, I mean is is it a is it a big deal um i would say to the extent of does it actually change anything probably not uh especially with the, the laptop and hunter biden situation i, I think it would have to be so massive the level of corruption that would be required to actually take down like that would be like if that became the reason to take down Joe Biden, I just don't think it's mm -hmm. possible. All right. It's like when it comes to Hunter and Ukraine and all the shady business that occurred there. Yes. I mean, unequivocally there's, I mean, it, there should be like no doubt in anyone's mind that yes, some shady dealing did occur there. Now, was it illegal? Probably not. It's probably, I mean, is it, it, does it make it less corrupt? No, absolutely not. Does it justify it at all? No. Um, but I don't think anything occurred there that would disqualify Joe Biden from the presidency. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Uh, so that's a line that Biden repeats a lot 
when he's talking about this is he, he I, not just during this debate, but whenever anyone brings up Hunter Biden, he always says, nobody ever said he, any, he did anything wrong in Ukraine. You know, nobody right, ever said right. he did anything wrong in Ukraine. And, and the president of the United States is saying that Hunter Biden did something wrong in Ukraine. You know, um, Fox News is saying that he did something wrong in Ukraine. A lot of people are saying that he did something wrong in Ukraine. And it, if he didn't do something illegal, like even if all these payments that they were getting, um, you know, we're talking about a guy who had zero experience in the energy sector, who somehow became a board member uh, of Verisma Holdings, which is a, a natural gas producer in, in the Ukraine. Um, believe it's natural gas but an energy company and uh he was getting i heard all different figures i heard uh 50,000 a month all the way up to 183,000 a month which trump said during the debate that was the highest i've ever heard but regardless a shit ton of money every month to a guy who has zero experience in that industry whose father happens to be the vice president of the united states overseeing U.S. Ukrainian relations, like Biden was tasked to manage that relationship. Even if there was nothing illegal illegal going on, at the very least, it, it just it stinks. So, and the mainstream yes. media hasn't covered these stories at all. Right. They, they they should at least acknowledge it, and then also for uh, for um, for Twitter to censor that story once it broke too. And that made that yeah. made the whole thing even seem more suspicious. Um, I, I'm not sure if it got censored on Facebook too. I, I think it might have, but I know for I a fact it, it was on Twitter. Yeah, and, and that, um, and, and that level that raises a whole you know, a whole new level of you know uh, where do we draw the line in acceptable censorship and what mm -hmm. what these you know how do we regulate these platforms and like do we just allow them to for them to write their own rules, right? It's a, it's a, it's, it's a very, <laughs> very dark time for democracy all around right now. But yeah, it's, I think, uh, it's kind of a, a election tampering or election interference really on behalf of, of Twitter and Facebook, these companies that are censoring. I mean, this was a, a new story published by the New York, the New York post and that paper actually is the, the fourth most widely circulated paper in the country. You know, they're a pretty big media outlet. And uh, if a media organization publishes something that's false, they can be sued. They can be sued for, uh, I'm not a, a lawyer here, either liable or um, or slander. I always mix the two up, but basically for, you know, putting lies in the press, you know, they're not, we have free right. speech, but you can't just lie. Um, mm -hmm. Facebook, Twitter, these social media organizations, they're not considered, they don't have the same, um, um, they basically, they, they have, too. yeah, right, right. They have liability protections where, you know, they're not responsible for what's published on their their platforms you know they're just a platform they're not a, a a publisher so i i mean if they're taking down the new york post has a lot more to lose from publishing a false story than twitter has for allowing it to be circulated 
So, I mean, that's why this whole, that whole censorship thing made no sense to me because uh, at that point, I, I mean, Twitter doesn't really have anything to lose. Um, the New York Post does, um, unless what they're really after is power or something else. You know, they, it, it just seems to me they just want to censor. They want to make sure that they want to make sure Trump loses the election. They want to make sure Joe Biden wins. That's what it seems like to me. Um, and I yeah, mean, if it's, I yeah, if it's not good, who is leaning towards? Yeah, I am leaning towards voting Biden here, but uh, I, I'm just looking at this objectively and that's what it looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, if it's if it is not election interference and I don't know what it is, because uh, I mean, like there's plenty of bullshit that gets posted and stays up on Twitter and Facebook all goddamn day. And especially from a a publication like the New York Post, yeah, they're they're not exactly Infowars, which I also don't believe should be censored right. either. But right, I guess we kind of kind of get off track. We're going to try to get back onto the topic of the uh, debate. Um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I I I, uh, I thought that Trump definitely improved from his last performance. However, I still don't think he. I, I think Joe Biden took it still. And I'll talk a, a little mm-hmm. bit about why. I think I think the the number one issue, the biggest topic in America right now, is the coronavirus. And I think when, whenever Donald Trump gets on the stage and downplays it and pacifies the severity of the situation and also tries to well you how he speaks so highly of his own performance when I mean, you're hard pressed to find a whole lot of people that are in support of his coronavirus performance, right? I think that that allows Joe Biden to actually steal the populist narrative. Right? And so, if we're going to, I think how to decide who won the debate is who really spoke to the populist ideology. Like, what do people really care about? And I, I think. By that metric, Joe Biden took it. Yeah, I hear you on that. Um, there was uh, one moment where uh, Trump said something kind of humorous that um, I felt like was trying to steal that narrative back a little bit uh, when they were talking about relief for uh, for uh, the coronavirus and the the, the uh, stimulus bill that's being held up in Congress. He was basically saying Nancy Pelosi is holding it up, and that's why the Republicans are going to retake yeah, the House. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, um, but yeah, no, I, I hear I hear what you're saying. The coronavirus is the most uh, pressing issue right now. Um, so you think Biden is winning on that? Right, I, I think absolutely. Um, I, I think that is that is the populist problem that needs to be addressed right now, and Joe Biden is, is the one championing that that populist position i i I think uh Mm -hmm. just it's just been a complete failure i mean i think on that front trump has basically been defeated since march ever since the the pandemic came out or or really started kicking off here he really hasn't done much that has been very positive in the public eye i I think people would you know praise him for you know shutting down uh immigration and uh, things on that front, but anything beyond that, just a complete lack of leadership. When we could, when we could like compare 
our nation to the rest of the world, well, obviously we could have done a better job. And I think people are realize, mm-hmm. oh shit, you know, maybe that's why we uh, shouldn't have a person like Donald Trump in the White House. Maybe this wasn't the best idea. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, he basically said that uh, his argument was basically um, that we're not going to have a dark winter because we're beginning to reopen up and Joe Biden wants to shut us down again. Um, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. You don't think that Trump made a strong argument with as where we stand right now. We know a lot more about the virus. Uh, We don't have to fully shut down. Um, We need to open up the economy. Um, You know, the, uh, the uh, consequences of shutting down the economy far outweigh the consequences or, or the risks of, of catching the coronavirus. Um, you think he made a, a point at all with that? I think that definitely resonates with his base and that probably resonates with certain people in certain industries that have been hit very hard. However, I don't think that's the, the general opinion of the electorate. Uh, I, I think uh, more people would be more inclined to even do even a second shutdown. Um, I th- I think I think what what Trump's strategy why it fails is that it, it seems like he, he he seems to think that because he's the president, whatever he says will eventually become the popular public opinion just because he's the president, right? So like, even if, mm-hmm. if no one agrees with him, he's just going to yeah. repeat this. He's going to stay on message. He's going to say the same thing over and over, and then eventually, everyone's going to come over to his side and see it his way. Um, that strategy is failing spectacularly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting way to, to look at it for sure. Um, yeah, I, I think um, I think you're right. He is able to shape the dialogue, you know, the national narrative in a way. And if he just keeps on repeating the same thing over, you know, people are going to begin repeating that and believing it. Um, I guess we'll just have to see how that, that plays out. Um, you know, you said before that you think up until March, or he began failing since March, I think you said. Do you think before the, this virus, do you think he was on track to win re-election? Probably, you know. I think, uh, yeah. yeah. If, if, if this definitely took him down. Um, oh, I mean, we'll, we'll see, yeah, we'll see mm-hmm. in November, or very soon, if, uh, if that, if that yeah. remains to be the case, but Man, yeah, if, if it wasn't for the pandemic, he definitely would have a better shot right now. Um, hmm. If the only thing we were dealing dealing with yeah. as a country right now, well, like the, the whole Black Lives Matter and those protests, those all would have played out very differently too. They they wouldn't have been. I would. I don't imagine they would have gotten too so severe without the pandemic, either. You know. Uh, yeah. But yeah, that's definitely a real possibility that. Yeah, <laughs> he he basically just would have just walked through the election, no big deal. Yeah, yeah, I I definitely agree. Um, you think that um, one other argument that Trump was trying to make uh, regarding the coronavirus is that had this happened under the Obama Biden administration, uh, there would have been m- many many more deaths. Uh, he basically compared it to the H. H1N1 uh, swine flu virus, 
and basically said if that was as lethal as the coronavirus, a lot more people would have died. I uh, threw some number out there. I think like 700,000 yeah. people, he said. Um, do you think that resonates with people at all? Only his base. I, I don't see how that message appeals to the broad American public. When obviously, I mean, we can, I mean, we can pull up the numbers in South Korea. We can pull up the, the numbers in New Zealand, even Australia, uh, Japan now, uh, it's, Germany. Uh, sure. Yeah. Some countries have had problems too, but the goddamn United States of America, we, you know, we deserve better than this. <laughs> right. Right. Um, yeah. And I could definitely poke a hole in that argument too. I mean, if, if the H1N1 was as lethal or more lethal than the coronavirus, it would have been handled differently. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the, you're not going to pour massive amounts of resources into a virus that really isn't all that lethal. Right. Yep. Right. And, and also, you know, we'll, we'll see. So you, we'll see soon enough too. you know, how how severe the second wave is. If the second wave ends up not being as severe as what's projected or like, you know, what the you know, how I think most people expect the worst is yet to come. If it turns out not being so bad, then yeah, the, the, the conservative party can come 2022 can come back and say, Hey, told you so. And then maybe they'll, they'll have some kind of red wave 2022 in the midterms. But I think, I don't know. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll wait and see. Mm-hmm. Um, well, a hypo- hypothetical question here. If, if that does happen and we do see a red wave in 2022, I think it's going to be Trump Republicans or more, libertarians traditional conservatives what do you think will be the the, the winning right-wing message post trump oh, man i don't know i don't know I, I mean, there are some some trump types that are going to be entering office this november but how loyal they remain to that type of ideology is i'm suspect you know, i when trump is no longer the one they're kind of calling the shots yeah, I, I think we'll see a return to more normalcy with a, a Republican Party overall, more to the traditional Republican values. Um, I could be totally wrong. I, I think, I, I, I think we'll we'll see. I think the with over the next two to four years, the party will be more like the you know the party of like, uh, like Josh Halley or Marco Rubio or maybe even Ted Cruz, these, these people that have been trying to break into the spotlight and, and do have a lot of popular opinion with the, the conservative base. Um, so yeah, that, I think that's the direction that the party will go, but two years ago, a lot of, a lot of stuff can happen in two years, man. So, but, but yeah, I, yeah, yeah I, yes, I definitely do. And, and what I want to happen and what I would like to see happen was yeah, I, I would like to see a more uh, Josh Halley, type Republicans in power. I, I think uh, their ideology, I think, resonates well with what the country needs. And um, I think they take some parts from the Trump playbook and actually make them into a workable policy that improves not only the country, but people's everyday lives. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so it's it's sort of populist, but a little bit different, a little bit more conservative right. maybe what? in character i guess right well say? it's uh you know what it comes down to is yeah more control over 
our, our foreign relationships, when it comes to manufacturing, when it comes to imports, when it comes to um, even, um, uh, what's the correct word for it? But um, uh, fuck, okay, I'm, losing, I'm, I'm blanking on it. But uh, when, it, when it comes <laughs> to dealing with, you know, uh, stuff like uh, Facebook and, and Twitter, you know, should these companies be brought, you know, broken up? I mean, Josh Howley is one of the most technologically literate people in Congress right now. So I think it's great to have him kind of on the on the tip of that spear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. Um, all right, should we move to the topic of uh, election interference? Sure. Yeah. Um, so what the, what day was that? Was on Wednesday, right? When that when that, when that news? I, I believe so. Wednesday or Thursday, maybe um, sometime midweek. Uh, but this was a question during the debate, and it, it was kind of referring to something that happened earlier in the week. Um, the uh, the FBI and the the Christopher Ray, the director of the FBI, and uh, and uh, uh, Director Ratcliffe from uh, the the director of national intelligence basically had a joint press conference where they said that Russia and Iran have obtained voter registration information and uh iran has already acted on that there they've basically been sending emails out to people intimidating them to vote a certain way um yeah and then it came up during the debate so uh yeah what, what are your thoughts well, on first, it first I, I would like to read the email that people were getting it's yeah it's, awesome. kind of, it's kind of silly all right so these emails these were sent from Info at officialproudboys.com. There's that group again. Proud, the Proud boys. boys. All right. So, <laughs> or, or as Joe Biden poor boys. Them, poor boys. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty funny. All right. So, these emails would be personally addressed to you with your first and last name. They would say, blank, you. We are in possession of all of your information. You are currently registered as a Democrat, and we know this because we have gained access into the entire voting infrastructure. You will vote for Trump on Election Day, or we will come after you. Change your party affiliation to Republican to let us know you received our message and will comply. We will know which candidate you voted for. I would take this seriously if I were you. And it says your name again, and good luck. That's incredible. That's spooky stuff. Um, and that was those emails were targeted to people in key counties in Florida, yes. mm-hmm. I believe. I don't know if there are any other states involved, uh, but yeah, in Florida. Um, basically, as far as I know, um, I guess the Proud Boys and uh, the FBI, you know, the FBI investigated this and contacted the Proud Boys and they denied it and they were able to somehow determine that these emails are coming from Iran. Um, <laughs> what's, are we going to respond to this? Do you think? Does it matter who wins the election? I don't know. I, I think I, I, I'm just curious, like what their, like what was their motive? Uh, especially Iran to start getting a little more heavy handed in this uh, election interference. It strikes me as weird. Yeah. Um, I mean, it doesn't matter. I don't know. Um, oh, also, um, and some of those, not every email, but some of those emails, 
there was also a link to a, a video. So if you follow this link, it was a video of, um, let me try to describe it the best I can here. Um, it included a link to a disinformation video and it was a, <laughs> it was set to an instrumental version of Metallica's Enter Sandman. <laughs> and the video, uh, the video is a screen recording of a tutorial that shows how a fraudulent ballot is allegedly cast by someone utilizing the federal voting assistance program. And the computer's background has the Proud Boys logo on it. So I was trying to find that. I spent probably a fucking hour today trying to find the actual video. It's been scrubbed. It's it's yeah. nowhere now. <laughs> but it's. <laughs> That's, that's, that's nuts. That's ballsy. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it makes you wonder what their motive actually is because I mean, on a, on the surface level, it seems like they're trying to hurt uh, Biden. You know, they want people to vote for Trump, you know, basically saying, if you don't vote for Trump or else, you know, we'll come get you. We don't, we don't know what or where else is, but that's kind of the implement the implement there. Um, but, I mean, this whole situation, it kind of makes the Proud Boys look bad. And we know the Proud Boys are linked to Trump, that most of them support Trump. Trump even gave them a shout out during the last debate. Um, when you really look at it, it kind of makes Trump look bad in a way. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um... It, yeah, it definitely does seem like an attempt to cast shade on the president. Um, I mean, would a Biden administration be better for either Russia or Iran? Uh, Iran, maybe. Um, yeah. Russia, Yeah, I, th I think it would. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I, I, Iran had a, a deal with the Obama-Biden administration. Right. Um, I mean, you know, we could debate on whether it was a good deal or not for us, but... I mean, we're talking about, uh, what, since 1979, we've basically had a hostile relationship with Iran, and this was like the first time our leaders were able to come to some kind of arrangement. Uh, it was a big step, really, in the direction towards peace, and then Trump comes to, to power and rips up the Iran nuclear deal and, uh, and basically uh, killed their top general over there yeah so yeah iran obviously it you know is gonna prefer biden versus trump yeah yeah that makes perfect sense yeah. um but i mean given you know if uh, if trump got another four years eh, who knows i mean i think uh maybe if you see the development and other parts of the middle east especially between uh saudi arabia and israel i mean those relations have I mean, I, I mean, I don't think anybody can deny that those relationships have improved. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm not sure if that's, I, I, I'm still not sure if those peace agreements are due to Trump's administration or just despite them. You know, like, mm -hmm. did they really have much involvement with that? Or was it something that was in the works for a while? Things, something that they, a, a mutual agreement they were already heading towards. So I'm not sure about that. But if it is yeah, Trump, then... I mean, I mean, more power to him. And I mean, also the way he ha handled North Korea was different. You know, at least mm -hmm. he tried to do something different because the, the shit we've been doing for the last, you know, 20 fucking years is obviously not working. So, you know, I do got to give him credit for 
trying to actually improve that situation. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if these, you know, regarding the, the, the Middle East, I, I don't know if th- these were the, uh, the, 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 these peace agreements. I don't know if that these were the fruits of like uh, years and years worth of negotiating or if this is just something that, that Trump was able to uh, really move forward, uh, you know, due to, to him and his unique style. I, I don't know, but I, I, I think it's pretty amazing that we are starting to see peace break out in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I believe since like 1963 or something, the end of the uh, um, that war that um, Israel had with uh, Egypt and um, oh man, my history, I'm, I'm blanking on here a little bit, but um, basically only Egypt and, uh, and Jordan um, have recognized Israel uh, for like the past few decades. And now all of a sudden, three new countries have reestablished diplomatic relations with Israel. Um, just this last week, Sudan, and shortly before that, um, I don't have my notes here. We weren't planning on talking about this, but uh, was it the United Arab Emirates, I'm pretty sure, and uh, Qatar? You know? That sounds right. I know for yeah. sure the Emirates, yes. Yeah, yeah. Not, not so sure about Qatar, but... Yeah, um, I'm not sure. We were not planning on talking about no. this, so it was not in my notes. <laughs> Just kind of free balling here, uh, but pretty big deal, yeah. really. You know, um, it, it's, it's it's actually a huge deal, and you know, also what Trump has done in uh, you know, drawing down the troop forces in Iraq and Afghanistan, um, Pakistan, Kenya, uh, uh, not Kenya, uh, Syria. Um, those are all good things. Yeah. Uh, Mm-hmm. And uh, I am I, I one thing that definitely does concern me about a Biden presidency is just a return to those disastrous Obama era policies of where we went from two wars into seven wars. You know, it's a uh, uh, Barack Obama and and uh, Joe Biden were the most pro war. They were more pro war than George W. Bush. It's uh, that's one thing definitely yeah, that thanks. does concern me about the about his administration and what he may or may not do. Yeah, there was definitely this this bipartisan um, war effort in a way, you know, where both parties wanted war for whatever reason. Um, or not that they wanted war, but somehow they dragged us into it. Um, and uh, I mean, Trump has, in a way, been the the most um, anti-war president we've had in a very long time. He's really kept us out of conflicts um so uh yeah i mean that is one good good thing that uh has come out of trump for sure and you know hopefully hopefully biden doesn't reverse course if he if he wins the election yeah but uh i got to get back on track the uh yeah the uh the situation with uh iran and russia and the emails Mm -hmm. do you think it matters um, no, because I think most people already made up their minds. Yeah, I think, to be honest I, with you, I, think you know, I don't think much matters at all at this point. Um, I did think it was interesting how the FBI um, singled out 
the fact that they know Iran is trying to hurt Trump, but they didn't say anything about Russia's potential motives, you know, um, and everybody is believes for the most part that Russia really wants to help Trump, you know, not hurt him. So I, I kind of think that whole FBI announcement might've been politically motivated in a way to, uh, to make it look like, you know, Iran doesn't want Trump and therefore, you know, it wouldn't, that's not necessarily a good thing for Biden to basically have Iran's support. Right. Right. Um, but Trump did make the argument during the debate that he's been the toughest president on Russia in, in a long time. Uh, and he cited a few examples. Um, but what do you think Russia's motives really are? Uh, do you think they want to, I mean, during the 2016 election, I think there's no, no doubt that they wanted to help Trump, but could things have changed this time around? What do you think they're, I don't think we've actually seen them act yet where, you know, we caught Iran red handed here. We just know Russia has voter registration data. We don't know what they're exactly doing with that data yet. You know, they could be planning some kind of attack, some kind of operation, uh, they may, they may not do anything. Who knows? But what do you think their intentions would be if they are to do something? I think it's just to sow discord in general with the with the with the public. Um, during the 2016 election, I mean, there was there was a lot of pro Hillary stuff that was coming from the Russian government or the IRA as well. I, it's a, it, I guess the general consensus that there was. There was more pro-Trump stuff than there was pro-Hillary, but I mean, it definitely did exist. They they weren't they weren't exactly partisan all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, they their their goal um, to me just seems to sow discord and to drive a wedge, you know, between the American people even deeper. And what is the IRA? That's the Internet Research Agency. That is like the 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 arm. The, the arm that the Russian government used to outsource their election meddling. So basically the, the, the internet research agency was created or hired by the Russian government and they, they were just, they, they outsourced this job to many people to go on different social media sites and create fake profiles, buy popular successful profiles and then change the narrative on them. And they did all kinds of stuff. But mm-hmm. It was interesting. I mean, I mean, I yeah, I'd be very surprised if we, you know, if the United States government didn't do very similar things as well. Mm-hmm. Um, regarding um, North Korea, we brought up before um, during the debate, Biden said that he would only meet with Kim Jong Un if the intention of the conversation was to discuss uh, North Korea denuclearizing. <laughs> do you think that's a good approach? Uh, maybe. I mean, has has anything really improved or fruited from previous discussions with the guy? You know, after the after the in person discussions, did anything actually change? Did any relations relations well, actually I don't improve? Think there's been any more uh, missile tests. All right. Okay. Well, that's been a good thing. Um, 
But then, this is where I think that the denuclearization discussion gets like gets kind of tricky. Um, to I, I know like we're talking about a you know a, a basically an authoritarian cult. You know, it's kind of what North Korea is, and they're very. <laughs> they, they're, they're they're a wild bunch of people uh <laughs> i i think when it comes to like legislating whether like what technology uh, like a a nation or a country can or cannot have i think it is very very strange um so uh, you know if a if a company if, if a country would greatly benefit from even having like nuclear power in general at, at all then you know I, i'm conflicted on on restricting that access right because it's not so much about to me and, and like the, the fucking like the bleeding heart liberal inside me for whatever reason is sees a situation and thinks like well man that could like radically improve the you know the quality of life for his citizens if these people had a, uh, a stable power grid that was fueled by nuclear energy versus like you know whatever bullshit like coal fired fucking you know uh power plants they have now mm-hmm it would seem like an improvement to me, but yeah, but then yeah, the problem exists that well with that technology inherently, you have the ability to also create nuclear weapons. And now we've got a big problem. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it seems like they care more about building the nuclear weapons than they do about nuclear power grids. Right. Yeah. Well, so uh, that's where we get, in, that's where we'll enter, you know, playing world police. Mm-hmm. And that's where, hey, you know, I don't like, I don't like our country going it alone in that respect. I think that should definitely be uh, something that's decided by the UN and enforced by the UN, not just the US saying, nope, you know. Yeah, yeah I, I hear you on that. Um, all right, what else during this debate do you think uh, is important that we should bring up? Um. um you know, Biden brought up. Uh, uh, Biden was asked about his public option. Um, healthcare is always something that's very important to, to voters. Going back many elections now, right? Uh, healthcare. So I feel like we're always talking about it, but it remains an important topic. Um, Biden's public option. Trump was basically trying to make the case that a public option is basically socialized medicine. Um, do you buy that argument? Yeah, it is, but so what, right? Like, mm-hmm. like you know, social security is a social, you know, is a, a socialist program. Yeah, um, you know, uh, mandating people to buy car insurance is a socialist uh, law that you have to follow. Um, putting tariffs on Chinese imports is a socialist policy. You know, there, there's it's all these different forms of socialism that exist within our society already. To say, but that's socialist when we have so many fucking already it's just, it, it's ridiculous to me like do i think a public option do i do i think joe biden's public option is the best possible form of healthcare out there and eh, probably not yeah i'm, I'm sure it's going to be a uh, i'm sure the insurance agencies are still going to come out on top regardless um but yeah i think it's time it's time that that we we join the modern world and having some kind of provide government provided healthcare mm-hmm. and I, I, you know joe biden's uh, I, I think it's like heavily means tested and 
you know, there's all kinds of it's it's not free healthcare for everybody. You still got to meet these certain demographics and thresholds and right. income and shit. So it's not like right. So it great. can't. It's designed in a way that it can't just. It's not going to swallow up the uh, private insurance and in, uh, industry at all. You know, you have to meet certain requirements to be able to qualify for what essentially is socialized medicine. You know, government subsidized uh, prescriptions and whatnot. Um, but it's only, you know, for people who really don't make a lot of money, you have to meet all these parameters to qualify. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think uh, Trump's argument here really holds any weight. Um, uh, immigration was a, another topic that, that came up. Um, uh, they were talking about the, uh, the, the catch and release thing and who built the cages um that's not even important the problem was the separation policy where they were separating kids from their parents not who built the cages but that's what trump i noticed trump's strategy throughout the debate he did it a few times and i I think very successfully a few times was to kind of change what they should be talking about to something that's adjacently related but maybe a little bit more damning to biden um so when talking about the child separation policy all of a sudden it became about cages and who built the cages yeah it's silly well i think i think the way the the media narrative has has spun the child separation thing is a bit disingenuous so it's it's been a long time since I've really looked into this. So my I, my the numbers aren't as fresh in my head as I would like them to be. Mm-hmm. And if I say anything wrong, I'll try to tr- uh, correct it in the, in the follow up. But so when the, these kids are separated from their their parents and like are not reunited, it's important to also understand and, and know that somewhere in the ballpark of like eighty five to ninety percent of these kids that don't get re- necessarily reunited with their parents are reunited with their family members already in the United States. And that's a very important part of the story that's always left out. That like maybe, all right, so like the, the government can't find their parents, but they can find an uncle. They can find yeah. a grandparent that are, that are like they can find a cousin that's already in the United States. And that's who they get placed with an overwhelming majority of the time. Yeah. So, I mean, is the policy, is the policy good? No, I mean, like it's, it's, it's yeah. not, but... I think it's also to it's important to keep in mind that it's not nearly as draconian as mm-hmm. what they would believe you or make you believe that it is. Yeah, and and on those five hundred plus kids that we supposedly don't know where their parents are, a portion of those kids were brought over by co- coyotes. You know, it's just there's no doubt about it. Uh, that's is a way how. Um, you know, people trying to enter our country to, to, to do whatever. Um, a lot of times they would try to smuggle kids in, make it look like they're part of a family, you know, that would boost their uh, asylum claims. And uh, it basically be a, a way for them to gain entry. Um, so, I mean, is that all 500 of them? No. I mean, there's also a portion where it is true. We, they came in with their parents and, we don't know where their parents are now. They probably got sent back home to their home countries and the kids are still here. And, um, you know, it, it is a mess, but you know, Trump was basically 
saying that they were all brought in by coyotes and Biden was kind of saying that they were all brought in by their parents and we lost all of their parents. The truth is somewhere in the middle, like it usually is on that. It's not as dark as it really is. Um, but yeah, it's not, not a good situation, not a good look for the U S no, no, I, that's just, uh, it would definitely need to improve, you know, the, our whole policy regarding Im- immigration in the Southern border. Um, but yeah, when it comes to children and what you do when you come across these people, man, it's, it's tough, you know, it's a, a it's very hard yeah. to yeah. let the you know, legislate, like what the, like what the right thing is to do here. Cause I, I you know, the, the conservative in me is like, well, you know, obviously well, these are illegal immigrants. Like they shouldn't, they, they have no right to be here. So by any means necessary, we should deport them and not care what the outcome is because they don't belong in this country. And then, you know, the, the liberal in me is like, well, we have kids that have lived here, like their, their, their entire life, essentially, you know, they may not be documented citizens, but they're Americans by any understanding of what it is to be an American. So it's, it fucking sucks, man. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, it's, it's, it's a tough one for sure. Um, I think the United States and Mexico need to get together, build some kind of beautiful facility near the border somewhere and make it a refugee center where if you're fleeing for your life, you can go there, you'll get, you know, a hot meal and and a shower and and a bed, a place to sleep and access to apply for asylum to countries around the world to specific communities that have a shortage of labor or something and could use that person's skills and like match them up with, with, with possible placements for them around the world. You know, Japan has had a declining population for a long time now. I'm sure that they could use some fresh workers in certain areas, you know, and, you know, there might be a certain community in Wisconsin that could benefit from an, uh, a few uh, migrant families, um, you know, but just, just letting them come in and go wherever. And that's not necessarily a good thing. Immigration, we need a humane solution to the refugee situation. Um, you know, everyone should be able to seek refuge. Uh, but at the same time, I do think it's important that we do check who's coming in and uh, make sure that they're not going to be taken advantage of by, you know, employers just looking to pay them crappy wages and whatnot. It's not good to have an underclass uh, of people living in your society. And if you support open borders and people just coming in illegally, you are essentially supporting a, a, a subclass of, of, citizenship in a way you know mm-hmm. where you know people living here they're not citizens they don't have full rights you know we need a way a, a responsible way to bring them into uh, american society legally and uh you know and if there is no room in a certain area we have a responsibility in my mind to find a placement for anyone seeking refuge wherever that placement may be um and, uh, you know, we can get other countries to pitch in to, like, support a humane solution to a problem that countries around the world all face refugee crises from time to time. You know, it's really a global problem. 
Um, yeah, I've got a, I've got another solution. Yeah. Annex Mexico. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There just, we go. Just take that shit. Yeah. Border crisis solved. Cartel yeah. problems solved. <laughs> Well, then we only got to build a, a small border across the bottom yeah. of Mexico and right? South yeah. America. It's much yeah. smaller. Yeah, maybe the when size you start of think- the wall in half. Yeah, when you start thinking about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you start yeah, <laughs> the size of the wall. Yeah. yeah, when you start thinking about it, more and more it makes sense, right? Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> fuck, yeah. Fuck all this talk about buying Greenland. Let's just fucking buy Mexico. Yeah. There we go. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Make vacationing their way. Well, babe, I'm not sure if cheaper, but way safer. Hey, manifest destiny. There's precedent, you know, that's <laughs> what we got to do. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and the last thing in the, in the debate I, I thought was very important was the uh, fracking situation at the end. Uh, I think, I think uh, Trump kind of exposed Biden as someone wanting to ban fracking, which is incredibly important you know, for what are the swing states? A lot of these states participate in fracking. Um, Trump even said, I hope you're listening. Ohio, I think he said South Dakota, Texas, which is, you know, the Democrats have a chance to flip Texas. Um, Probably not going to happen, but there is a chance. It's becoming purple. Um, I I think... uh, Biden kind of hurt himself a little bit here, although he did kind of clear it up. He said only on federal land, but uh, I still think to a lot of people, it means their jobs are at risk. Uh, What's your take on that? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a bad take. However, you know, Biden, Joe Biden has taken tens of millions of dollars from the oil and gas industry. So uh, he's still going to be in their back pocket. Um, But he, write some like Paris Accord type legislation to quote unquote like ban fracking that really doesn't do anything. Yeah, probably. Um, but I, I think to, to ban it on federal land is maybe not even the, like the right way to go about it. You know, one thing I really thought was uh, like revolutionary about Zoltan Itzban's uh, uh, the way he funded universal basic income was, ex- I'm, I'm, I'm going to use the word exploit here but the way that you exploited these federal lands and leased them out to these corporations and to take that revenue and fund a ubi with it i, I think is a, is a brilliant idea and mm-hmm. I, I think that deserved more focus and so like to um to blankly say that yeah like we're not gonna allow um, fracking or any resource resource harvesting from federal lands is short-sighted because like, like he says it's like this land a lot of this land out here is not being used for anything it's just you know um hundreds of millions of vacant acres um Mm -hmm. that's how long are we gonna let that stuff sit in the ground not forever right it's like it's there is it's a there is a zero percent chance that what we have right now is federal lands will remain federal lands from here on out forever like eventually it's gonna have to be tapped into so why not why don't we right now begin the policy legislation that that we start opening up these areas? We definitely respect the environmental concerns that uh, are inherently built into some, you know, some of these things, but then to also make it to where it actually does improve the everyday lives of Mm -hmm. everyday Americans. So Um, 
I think that, that's I think in my perfect world, that's the direction Joe Biden yeah. will be taking, but I know it's not gonna happen. Um when you're talking about federal lands, you don't necessarily mean um like national parks, right? I believe our parks are a small percentage of the federal lands, the untapped federal lands that are out there, right? We're not talking about drilling in Zion National Park or anything. Oh no, yeah, we're not but, talking about or like you know knocking over uh, Mount Rushmore or uh, uh, like you know or like like completely like blowing up the the Grand Canyon. Anything? No, no, of course not. Yeah, there are definitely some you know. How do you how do you describe it? How would you describe their importance to, the to America? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I, I mean, it's it's really priceless. You know, it's mm-hmm. just uh, that's that's all that's left of raw America, really. Mm-hmm. You know, undeveloped and and beautiful. And it's important that you know we uh, save some of that. Um, you know, but if there's like any unspectacular parcel of land that the government has that happens to be you know mineral mineral rich and something you know or or oil rich then then yeah we should maybe tap into that that's that's my opinion but uh yeah i think biden wants to ban fracking on all federal land Uh, i looked it up it's only about like 11 percent of all the lands that we are fracking on so it's it's a pretty small percentage or i mean it it could be a large percentage depending on how you look at it but really 89 percent of of the fracking that's going on right now would remain unchanged if biden were to ban fracking on federal land yeah i mean a uh, a an 11 percent reduction of you know of fracking that's i mean double digit Mm -hmm. um yeah i mean would would it would it cripple the fracking industry uh Probably not, but I yeah, I, I, really, I really don't have, you know, a dog in that fight. Uh, yeah, yeah, and neither do I. Yeah, I do. I do. I do. I think fracking is a good thing. Well, I I think energy independence is a good thing. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah, I, 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 shit. I, I I wish we didn't have to, but yeah. it's kind of you know the world we live in. Yeah, and I, 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 pros and cons. Yeah, I'd rather frack than burn coal. Mm-hmm. Yep, or harvest for sure. coal for sure. Um, much better than that. Um, all right, should we uh, should we touch on Borat <laughs> real quick? <laughs> yeah. Unless yeah, there's well, anything else in that debate that we uh, we skipped over? I don't think so. And we'll, yeah. Yeah, we'll make this uh, real quick. Um, but yeah, the new Borat film. It's excellent. It's hilarious. Uh, I would encourage everyone to go watch it. But there is a scene. I, I think what we really were trying to get at here is a compromising moment with none other than the mayor of America, Mr. Rudy Giuliani. Um, so should, yeah. we talk, should, we, should we include spoilers about what's going on here? I guess everybody, uh, everybody yeah. probably knows, right? Yeah, a little bit. Well, before the movie even came out on Amazon, uh, there was a still of the movie circulating on the internet. This image of Rudy Giuliani laying down in bed doing something with his pants. Um, you know, he was quickly quick to say that he was tucking in his shirt, but it kind of looked like he was doing something else with his hand in his pants. We didn't get all that much from the picture, you know, and there's, there's this girl standing in front of him. 
And then the movie comes out and you got a little bit more context, but still very cringeworthy. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, <laughs> not a good place to be if you're a politician, especially a politician in yeah. 2020. Um, I, <laughs> I don't think it's really going to amount to anything. I, I think uh, everyone's kind of moved on from it already, but God damn, it's, it's so fucking funny. So fucking yeah. funny. It's yeah. uh, yeah, I, I, I'm a huge fan of Sasha Barry Cohen. Uh, I love his work. Uh, I mean, his stuff with uh, the stuff he did with Who is America, uh, that was all equally as excellent too. Yeah. Um, that was I, that was awesome. I yeah. definitely I like Who is America a little bit more than the, the Borat, to be honest with you. But I thought it was still it was great. Definitely yeah. worth watching it. I mean, the the Giuliani scene and and the Mike Pence scene was hilarious too. Uh, I don't want to give away too much, but uh, uh, these guys definitely had no idea that this was like for a movie, you know? Right. Um, <laughs> you know, you would think everybody knows who Borat is, but he had a way of disguising himself a little bit in the movie. And uh, it's, it's, it's funny. It's funny stuff. Yeah. And, and using the, using the surrogate or, use, or using the, uh, that actress, uh, yeah. the pose as his daughter oh my god it's so there was i mean I, I really don't think there's any way rudy couldn't have fallen for it i think it was like pretty foolproof they really they really thought that whole thing out very well like yeah. she like you know, she was posing as a as a, a reporter with oan um which have you seen that deleted scene of, of her actually getting inside the white house no yeah yeah so like, <laughs> i think they just you know they made her look exactly like a right-wing um, reporter, you know, a, a, a female right-wing reporter, and she she looked the part, so she fit right in wherever she went. Like, no one questioned it just because she looked that way. So in the movie, she's uh, playing Borat's 15-year-old daughter. Uh, she's actually 24 years old in, in real life. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, during, during the scene, I, I, and I think that information, like, leaked out on, online ahead of time, like, like that the girl was 15 and, and there's this picture of Rudy Giuliani laying in, in the bed, which just made it all that much worse. But yeah. I mean, she's really 24 and Giuliani had no way of knowing that she was really pretending to be a reporter who was pretend, who was actually, you know, a 15 year old. I, I, I'm confusing everything here, but uh, bottom line is she was not she's 24 in real life and yeah there's no way it was done perfectly Giuliani <laughs> had no idea he was being punked and uh, just genius it was it was pure genius <laughs> it was genius it was genius I think one thing like the regarding the, the, the critical critical reception of the film a lot of people are thinking that this this is like way too political and way more political than the first one, but I, there was a lot of really political things that happened in the first one. Yeah, um, like there was that he he visited a Civil War antique shop and started breaking yeah. all the Confederate shit. Like 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 that's uh, that's a political statement. He went to that rodeo. Yeah, yeah. And uh, is <laughs> George uh, Bush, the great warlord? <laughs> Yeah, we support your war of terror. Yeah, and, and, and may, may he drink the blood of every man, woman, and child. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, well, uh, 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 there there was a kind of a low key uh, scene 
where he goes to a Presbyterian church. Um, and in, or, no, I'm sorry, it was a Pentecostal church. And uh, that it was a church that was also in that shot. It was being attended by, I got to look it up, uh, U.S. Uh, Representative Chip uh, Pickering. He was a, a Republican and also Mississippi Supreme Court Chief Justice James W. Smith Jr. So like also in the first one, he's taking a shit in, uh, in, in front of uh, Trump Hotel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like the first, the first one was a was a political film. It just, I don't know, maybe it wasn't so upfront and you know apparent. Yeah, you know? yeah. Times have changed, though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was good. I definitely recommend everyone go check it out. And you can on Amazon for free if you get the free trial of Amazon Prime. Yeah, I'll watch it. Amazon it's, in for you here right now. It is so uh, good. That's what I did. I I got the free trial just so I could watch Borat. And I'm probably going to cancel it in a few days. <laughs> cool. All right. Is that it? I think that's it. Cool. All right. On. Cool. All right. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. And we will see you all next week. Have a good night. <laughs>